Hello, Twitter space. I am your host, Mark Ryan, and welcome to the Sped Up Chat live from Abu Dhabi. And I wish I could have a monologue similar to Elon Musk yesterday with Saturday Night Live, but I'm not even going to attempt it. Thank you for being here. This is the Sped Up Chat. I'm your host, Mark Ryan. Let's get it going. All right, let's get right into it. Vince, how are you doing? Thank you for joining the Sped Up Chat tonight. What's going on? Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's uh, definitely uh, in the morning where I am in Edmonton, Alberta, and I know it's tonight in Abu Dhabi, but looking forward to this conversation for sure. Yeah, it is tonight, um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. How do you get educators to join in Abu Dhabi on a Sunday night at 8 p.m. for uh, an educational space? But if you were to walk into an educational uh, environment, let's say it's a conference or you know workshop or whatever, and someone walked up to you, hey, Vince, what's going on? Um, how do you describe yourself? What's going on? What's in your space? Yeah, so uh, I'm over here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and uh, I kind of have two professional portfolios. My, my full-time nine-to-five gig is with uh, Edmonton Catholic School Division, where I'm a curriculum consultant. And um, when I'm not a curriculum consultant for Edmonton Catholic, I am an author and consultant with Corin Press and uh, just finished publishing two books and you know, kind of how, how it works is as soon as you publish a couple books, they kind of tap you on the shoulder. So I have a few ideas in the back of my brain that uh, also working on. So look forward to that coming up. Wow. All right. So I was going to kind of roll on to that. Like, what are you working on in the moment? Is that actually how it is? It's like you get an idea, you formulate it, get on paper, it's printed, you're going to schools, you're doing workshops, but then right away, it's kind of like, what's the next one? Do you feel that kind of pressure? Uh, not yet. I'm very new into it. Um, and I kind of, and I, I've mentioned this on, 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 even on my Twitter page, but I've, I kind of stumbled into the writing thing through a, a series of connections. Um, I ended up having a dinner with, at, at a conference with one of the acquisitions editors. And I did not know at the time that she was an acquisitions editor and we were just chatting and I had some ideas and her response was, that's a good idea. You should write a book about it. And I just, I literally laughed. <laughs> and then uh, it ended up manifesting itself into this one of the, one of the books I wrote. And um, because of who I wrote it with, there's some pretty prolific names on the cover. Um, then the ball kind of starts rolling. So now that I'm a trusted author, so to speak, in that they can trust me with getting a product on paper. Um, anytime I have an idea, I'm just in casual conversations with those editors. So I have a few ideas that I want to get into, but nothing um, official yet. Uh, which probably will become more official in September because I am starting uh, my doctorate at Western Ontario University or University of Western Ontario. All right. Uh, good cross-country running school. At least they were back in, uh, back in their heyday. That's how I peg every Canadian university is just how good they were at cross-country running. Um, so University of Ottawa, yeah, it was okay. Queens, really great. Um, Windsor, you know, Guelph. All right. Now we're talking some some fast kids and some smart some smart cookies. But um, let's get into those two projects that you had just finished up. We're starting a book club um, at Raha International School here in Abu Dhabi. And we're thinking about the assessment playbook that you have and great teaching by design. If you had to put those two just in a nutshell, which they both kind of represented, how would you describe those two projects? Yeah, so uh, Great Teaching by Design, which is this one here, um, was more of my passion project. This was the idea that manifested out of that dinner um, right. at that conference. And essentially, Great Teaching by Design is just the application of Professor John Hattie's research in a classroom. So 
uh, a systematic model to um, you, that you kind of follow to go through making sure you have the highest degree of impact on your students. So the the by design piece in the title, Great Teaching by Design, is, is basically with this understanding that um, when teachers make deliberate decisions and design learning appropriately with other parameters in place, we can have a greater impact on student learning. From that uh, work with, with Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry um, and John Hattie, of course, I was included in being a co-author of the assessment playbook for distance and blended learning, which was manifested out of the complete need for um, understanding how we assess students during a pandemic or during a distance learning. Um, what we called it back then was the distance learning experiment, but now it's it's becoming more and more of a permanent thing. And so the assessment playbook reads almost like an encyclopedia. It's chock full of what we call playlists, and each playlist um, has specific assessment strategies that range from uh, universal response strategies, composition assessment strategies, self-assessment strategies, um, and teach back strategies. So those are the four playlists. And then basically you could just open the book, look at some strategies. Uh, it's They're fully explained and then there are generally some, some uh, teachers uh, examples in there as well because all of the examples that we pulled were also used in schools that I worked in as well as uh, Doug and Nancy's school in San Diego. Awesome. And, you know, that leads me to like the idea that, okay, you're right, you guys were putting this project together in real time when this was happening, the pandemic and something was unfolding. And like you said, it's becoming almost more of, okay, we're probably going to be here longer than we thought. This might actually be something um, maybe that the education space looks like for who knows how long. But in the education space right now, what I see is a lot of really exhausted teachers and not exhausted just by uh, the fact that their days are long, but just, you know, having to do so much with, with kind of crossing a lot of those bridges in real time as well. Because you guys were putting that book together and there's experts there and you're kind of, you know, being able to hash things out. And I could just see that teacher in the classroom who even finds it difficult to get out and talk to the person in the, next, in the classroom next to them. How do we get those teachers motivated that are exhausted? How do we get them into looking at some of these strategies and getting a lot of these kind of personal PD? Uh, I think it's important that you acknowledge the exhaustion level of teachers. I think our general planet is tired. Uh, we've, we've been existing in this, this pandemic, whatever level we're at in the pandemic, I, I, you can kind of foreseeably say other than maybe New Zealand uh, and Australia, we're not fully out of the pandemic yet, right? So everyone's just tired of that. And I think um, there's two things that I kind of always, I, I try to relate to teachers in, in the workshops that I do with them. The first is um, a workshop with me is kind of fast and furious. I, I, I tend to just throw as much information as possible because I want to, I feel like everyone needs to know everything and some people don't jive with that. It's a little bit overwhelming. So at the end of my sessions, I always say, um, choose one thing and then work on that first. Don't feel like you need to change every aspect of your teaching practice because we don't have that kind of time. We don't have those kind of resources, right? So that's the first. The second from, um, from a professional standpoint or from, from, a, from a leading a professional uh, learning community standpoint is meet the teachers where they are. And actually that the first step in great teaching by design, we talk about um, taking deliberate steps to know more about your students before jumping into the content. I don't see that any different in a professional learning community or in a, in a professional learning session. Take that time to, to survey your teachers, 
um, find someone who has a common concern or, or a common professional um, itch that they want to scratch, right? And then we can meet them there and then lead them. Um, it, it's it's pretty uh, difficult to want to engage in professional learning when you feel like it's it's already been prepackaged for you. Um, and so, you know, that's one aspect. I know, uh, I mean, online book studies are a huge uh, move in 2020 and 2021. My suggestion is buddy up. So let's say, Mark, you and I, we were teaching at the same school and I was a little more reluctant to join the book study, but you know, you and I are good buddies, maybe you'd say, listen, Vince, let's go through this together and you and I can kind of conquer the book study together. It's always nice to have uh, a partner in crime when you're in a book study or when you're in a professional learning environment. Yeah, I think uh, definitely good strategy. I wasn't sure where you're going when you were saying Fast and the Furious. I thought there was going to be some Vin, uh, some Vin Diesel references <laughs> or, or something like that. But no, it was more about buddying up. So I'll have to try to remember... Uh, that part of the movie, I'm sure it was about teamwork. I think it, I think that's all it was about was teamwork. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, predicting uh, how this is going forward, and I know you spoke about New Zealand, you spoke about places that seem to, you know, have a, a little bit of a different situation, but I think this is a global situation, right, of course. And, you know, we, we don't go back to to the way it was until everyone can kind of go back to the way it was. It, at least in my opinion, I think that's how um, – how the world works we're connected that way and that's why we saw that this uh pandemic was able to go so quickly is because how connected we were how do you see the education space september kids are coming back to school right after summer are we back are we still into this blended learning thing are kids still at home uh online some kids coming to school at I least in canada I think it's a little circumstantial. I mean, I know for a fact our di uh, the division I work in now and a lot of divisions around Alberta are keeping an a permanent online space. Um, and uh, I actually just listened to a great podcast by a colleague of mine, Peter DeWitt, uh, in which he interviewed Doug and Nancy. And, and one, of the, one of the things that Doug said that really resonated with me was that um, we see this distance learning thing as, in generalities, we see it as entire, entirely negative However, there were students who thrived during the distance learning, right? Those, those students who are bullied in traditional settings, those students who are a little bit more um, reserved in class and don't get to hear their voice so often, those students thrived in distance learning. So by taking some of the best aspects and, and, our, and our greatest achievements from this past year and moving forward, I think there's an, there's an aspect of permanence with online learning. Now, is every teacher gonna wanna do that? Is every student gonna wanna do that? Absolutely not. But I, I don't see a future in education without an aspect of online capabilities. And as a matter of fact, um, when we look at designing some of our lessons and, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we heard this term flipped classroom. That's also becoming a little bit more apparent and we can do it a little smoother with some of the, the great ed tech tools that have been presented to us over the course of this past year, for sure. Yeah, and I like how you said that about, you know, not all teachers will be willing to do that or all students, but it's trying to find those teachers who also did excel in that space, right? And matching them up with those with those students and be able to create an environment in school where both sides are kind of equally passionate about being in that space. And I think that's been the struggle that I've seen so far is that, yeah, you do have those students who are excelling, but there's teachers on the other side who are not sure how they're excelling like that. They're just getting back, you know, products and they're they're really struggling to find ways to tap into that process of what's going on during these uh, these online classes where there's other students that have a, other teachers who have a lot of strategies, who have a lot of ways to gain access and, you know, maybe just feel more com confident about it. 
Now, we've been talking about the education space uh, a lot here at the beginning. What is something non-educational that we would need to know about you as a person? Like for me, people would clearly know that I'm a runner. I, I, I run around too much with, and talk to my camera after running for people not to know that. But um, how about you? What do you do for your mindfulness and separate from writing books? Yeah, so there's definitely there's definitely needs to be a separate aspect of my life because I'm not just a guy who sits in front of a computer all the time. Um, and I will say I want to honor your run because I think that's really brave. I played uh, university soccer, and so we were forced to run. And so now I really don't like running at all, <laughs> unless I'm chasing a soccer ball for sure. But you know, preseason, you talk to most soccer players, preseason when you have to get back into running shape is no fun. So I don't do a lot of that. I actually play quite a bit of golf. Um, that would be where I, I get a lot of my mindfulness. Um, also keeping active and, uh, my wife and I, we tend to, to take our, our dog. We have a, a 70 pound Doberman that we tend to take for long walks and, and hikes. So I I'm lucky enough that although I'm in Edmonton, we're only, you know, three hours from Banff national park. So we try to get when, when it's not in pandemic, we try to get out there at least once a month just to do some hiking. Yeah. I think that's like pretty interesting how you talk about, you know, when you got into uh, football or soccer, as you're saying, and you know you were forced to do something that wasn't kind of in your comfort zone, like running, and relating it back to when we were talking about teachers having to do professional development, and the idea of like pushing someone into a space where they just don't want to do it, and then therefore, they're not going to do it later. They're going to push against it so hard later, and they'll be on the golf course. Um, so... That idea of like meeting teachers where they are compared to just what you said there about, you know, where are you right now in the idea of just getting outside and enjoying nature and just being healthy, whether that means going for a 5K run or, um, yeah, probably walking 5K. I don't even know how long 18 holes is, but it's probably more than five kilometers. I, well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, let's, I'll give you five, five kilometers. Or if you wear like a, a little Fitbit, probably 5,000 steps. I don't know what that is. Yeah, depends on if you're using a cart or not. So it depends on the day, I guess. All right, there you go. Yeah, okay. Let's assume you're not using a, car, a cart, but um, giving you the benefit, benefit of the doubt. Now, I would peg myself as a risk taker in most kind of aspects, and I'm often trying to act and then learn. And I know in the green room before we were talking about the idea of cryptocurrency, and no, just a disclaimer right away, this is not a financial advice uh, show. This is all for entertainment. So don't listen to anything I'm about to say if I say anything financial, please. Um, but no, um, I tend to act. And then once I've acted, I tend to try to learn and see what's going on. And I do that constantly. We we're talking about um, my time in Hong Kong when I was on television. And similar to how you found yourself at a table talking about your idea for a book and someone being like, hey, you know what? Think we should do that and you're like excuse me and i remember having that conversation once with a gentleman named stephen chan and saying you know blah 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 and he said you know what you should probably be on television i thought whoa what you know like sometimes these things just happen and you have to just act before you know everything do you find you're like that do you like to act and then learn or do you like to know all your stuff and then act so i'd like to say that i i don't I, I like to learn and then act. But it, it, as you were speaking, I was kind of reflecting on some of the like, biggest decisions in my life and they've been kind of act and then learn. So, I, I mean, those who are really close to myself and my wife would know that we literally met in Cancun. So when we met first time, I was living in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. She was living in Austin, Texas. We met when we were both on vacation in Cancun. And then we proceeded to have a year and a half long distance relationship 
And then she decided to move to Canada. So in that case, I definitely acted before I thought through in a lot of ways, <laughs> which was the best decision I've ever made for sure. Um, but in terms of some of the professional stuff, I, I've been learning more and more not to say no to things that that have kind of like the shadow of a doubt. Like if it's if it's something that I that just doesn't jive with me, I will definitely do research. So again, this is not an, uh, a financial show, but I haven't got into cryptocurrency yet, but I'm definitely reading a lot about it and talking to people about it. Um, so that would be an example of where I'm a little more calculated or, you know, in this process of deciding to apply for my ed doctorate. Um, that was very calculated in that, you know, I, I did a lot of research and finally decided that that was the right idea. But in other ways, I mean, in terms of starting to write books, I was learning along the way and I was lucky enough to have uh, fantastic mentors. So I think I just want to maybe address that one thing that you mentioned in that, you know, even though you may be a risk taker and you're, you're, you make the decision first and think second in, in a lot of times when I did that, I had fantastic mentors that helped guide me through that. We're saying, you know, it's okay to kind of walk around the corner without knowing what's, what's going to be on the other side, because I, I've, I've been there and I, you know, there are, they're, they're seeing the, the, the maze or labyrinth from above where you're walking through it. And so I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that mentorship piece. And I, I don't want to turn this into some more work that I'm doing, but I think it's much easier to make those types of decisions when there's someone saying, hey, listen, I got your back if you if you stumble or, you know, I'm here for you if you want to have some advice. And I actually want to hold on to that piece just for a second, because I actually was having a conversation with Vanessa from Raha International School, um, the curriculum coordinator, and going into a new role next year that I'll be doing um, linked with media at the school. And she, she was talking about coaching and mentorship and asking me, do I have a coach? Is there someone there that I'm able to speak my ideas to, to kind of like get things out and just kind of process it myself? Um, how, how would you suggest people go to find that mentorship person within their school that's not just a friend, right? Like yeah. someone who can actually guide teachers along if they needed support. Um, I have I have two suggestions for mentorship. I think in the in the school context of things, you want to associate yourself with someone you see yourself being in the future. So, um, if you're a if you're a, a rookie teacher, you know, first or second year teacher, maybe you want to associate yourself with one of those veteran teachers that you you kind of want to see yourself being like. Right. So you're almost looking into the future um, and following those footsteps. Um, but I also think it's important to have a mentor that's not in your professional field. I think having a mentor that, that sees things not from the, you know, the, the siloed education lens is also really important. Um, so I, I have, uh, you know, I'm lucky I have a really tight group of friends and a lot of us are teachers, but oftentimes I'll, I'll seek advice or just bounce ideas off of um about buddies of mine that are not teachers or not in education just to see how they would react. And if you have two different types of mentorship that way, it really helps provide uh, those different perspectives because, you know, being a teacher, uh, teachers like to talk about teaching, right? And those who are not teachers are like, listen, we, we couldn't be bothered to listen to this. So um, those two different types of mentors are really important, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think um, teachers like to talk about teaching. They often like to talk about what's not working with teaching as well, a lot. So you can, you can get a kind of a lot of negative conversation. And I'm making a huge generalization. I know teachers aren't always talking about that, but um, I'll leave it at that. When you're going into the last thing I want to talk about, when you're going into somewhere and you're, you're bringing one of your books and you're talking about great teaching by design and you have a group of teachers and you know, I can see what they're getting out of it. Right. Um, and other than 
the the paycheck or something that you get from providing that service is there something else that you get or is it a constant learning experience when you're around new teachers that are looking at your content differently do you take notes about that is that kind of what feeds your next idea um, yeah what happens there yeah that's it so i used to just kind of we obviously when before you engage with a client you have these client engagement calls and you you get to meet with the principal um and i used to kind of just scribble them down on notepad and now i have them in a like a literal notebook because I'll take notes afterwards on things that I think worked. And you you always find the two or three really keen teachers who latch on. Um, and I'm very open. So I guess I could say one of the feedback pieces is I always leave my email address or my Twitter handles is public. So if people want to email me with with questions or comments, I'm, I'm an open book there. Um, but I also am going to start, this is something I, this is kind of the next progression in my as I keep engaging in workshops, start linking with these teachers that are applying the practices in the book so I can see how they're going, you know, six months down the road, a year down the road. And if they fell off, um, then why, where, what was the reason for the, for the kind of fall off? And when you and I met on the teachers on fire podcast a few weeks ago, um, Tim asked us about what makes quality professional learning. And, and one of my responses was that quality professional learning needs to be ongoing and should not be a one and done thing. And so that that's that really falls into that category. And then lastly, for us at, at Corwin, we have a, a, an anonymous survey. So all of our, our all of our participants, all of our clients get a link to an anonymous survey. And then we get like a little report card. So I have like an ongoing report card of you know, various parameters if I've met them or not. So lots of different ways. Um, I'm definitely more of a qualitative guy. So, you know, and, and I, I I'd like to think I'm open. So if, if there was something that didn't jive with, with the, the teachers in my session, you know, I have a little bit of thick skin. If they just told me, listen, this didn't work for me, then I would, I would move, I would move the stars to make sure that whatever happens next time was exactly what they needed. Awesome. I, yeah, I totally love that. I love the idea of keeping that journal and looking back and seeing what worked and then the anonymous survey sitting down and actually just kind of taking it, yeah, taking it on the chin sometimes if there were some, uh, some critical feedback, but I'm hoping your next book is called falling off the wagon, great teaching by design, but I'm not sure, um, you can hold on to that title and see if it works, but, uh, I think there's something there, dude, this has been a pleasure. Um, as, I've said before on here, a big thing with sped up chat is kind of following in the footsteps of Larry King. And I know that sounds like a, a really strange thing to say, but how he used to always run his shows was just learning alongside the audience. And I've learned so much from you tonight. And I was, this has totally uh, been open. We've not had this conversation before. And the idea of, you know, picking one thing for teachers to work on, buddying up, uh, meet them where they are, where teachers are, where students are. The idea that you can find your soulmate in Cancun, I already knew that, but um, most of the other things were brand new. So Vince, thanks so much for being on the sped up chat. I hope you had fun. I hope it was worth your while as well. Um, and everybody who's been listening on the Twitter universe or on the sped up chat, Talim Family Raha International School here in Abu Dhabi. My name is Mark Ryan. We're live from the UAE. We'll see you next Sunday, 8 p.m. See ya.